Hello, I'm Daniel Simpson, the host of Ancient Futures. And if you're hearing this, you're listening to a preview of an archived podcast. For the full conversation, go to ancientfutures.substack.com. The link is in the show notes and become a paid subscriber. Or you can also sign up for a free seven day trial with no obligation. If you already subscribe, however, you have access to everything via the website, um, where you can go to your account page to set up a feed to your favourite podcast app. Just follow the instructions at ancientfutures.substack.com forward slash account. Now, everything is free at the time of release, so it's also possible to subscribe without any charge to get the latest episodes direct to your inbox, along with other interviews and things that I write. All of that does take time to produce, though, so while it's a labour of love, subscriber donations do help make it sustainable. But if you're not in a position to pay, just send me a message and we'll work something out. For now, on with the preview. Hello and welcome to Ancient Futures, where we flash back to blogging and all the nice messes it's gotten us into. Today, my guest is Carol Horton, uh, who's been involved in yoga since the mid-1990s. She started as a professor of political science, but she wound up teaching yoga instead and writing about its potential to transform society. Now, as she explains, she came to question how far that was true, um, but only after an immersion in yoga service, uh, which means supporting the provision of classes in everywhere from prisons to schools to hospitals and uh, for everyone from survivors of sexual abuse to veterans struggling with PTSD. Now, this is a longer conversation than usual because uh, we unpack what changed her mind, which means asking some awkward questions about yoga culture and its reflection of societal trends. You can find out more about Carol's work at carolhortonphd.com um, or check the show notes for, for links to her substack. Um, and uh, that's at my substack, ancientfutures.substack.com. Just quickly before we begin, um, if you'd like to talk more about how yoga relates to worldly life, uh, I'm running various study groups that do just that. Um, You can find out more about those at danielsimpson.info. Now though, without further delay, let's dive deep into yoga and social change with Carol Horton. Carol, welcome. Hey, it is so exciting to be here. I'm really excited too. Uh, we were just noting that it's it's 10 years now that we have exchanged electronic communication, but never actually spoken. <laughs> and that seems yeah, quite a long time. So, and I, I've looked back at some of our emails because I was curious, like, how, how long have I been in correspondence and with Daniel and yeah, 10 years and quite interesting exchanges that we've had. So I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you. Well, likewise, um, you really turned me on, I think, to the idea of writing about yoga seriously without being a scholar. Um, Oh, really? Cool. Well, yeah, your book seemed to have this, you know, talking right about the first one, I suppose, Yoga PhD, first Mm. one in yoga terms, obviously you had other publications beforehand, but uh, you seem to have uh, deliberately eschewed uh, attempts to shoehorn you into a commercial idea of what would be 
a suitable yoga book. Um, you'd been perhaps a little upstaged by some scholars who'd written things that had uh, attempted to write the broad sweep yoga history in North America, and instead just decided you wanted to tell your story your way about your relationship with yoga, but to do that, you know, with with rigor and uh, with seriousness. And everything I saw you writing online, you know, 10 years ago, and uh, perhaps even, even before that, um, was similarly grounded in, in, you know, being serious about things. It wasn't just an attempt to you know, drive traffic or generate controversy, like a lot of people who've been writing about yoga online. Um, and, it, you know, it was grounded in a serious inquiry. You had questions and you wanted answers and you were a researcher, so you were good at getting them. So I found your work really inspiring in that respect. Well, thank you. That's that's really sweet. I appreciate it. So I wanted to ask you, first of all, kind of <laughs> what sucked you in? How did you get so deeply immersed in yoga that you were you know, an authority online on the subject? Yeah, well, um, I'll try to keep the story relatively short. Um, but uh, way back in the mid 90s, I was teaching, um, I was a political science professor at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota. And that's when I started my first weekly yoga class. So that was way back in the day, right? Where that class was in a church basement. There weren't any yoga studios. I think even in Chicago, there were two yoga studios at that time. Okay. And um, I'm, I live in Chicago now and I'm originally from the Chicago area. So that's why I mentioned Chicago. And um, it was, I don't know. I just had this feeling like this is something I want to do. This is something I should do just sort of, an intuitive draw to this. And I had no background whatsoever in anything having to do with mind body practices. And, you know, the word spirituality, it would be something I was allergic to. I was an academic, you know, um, very rationalistic. That was my comfort zone. And slowly from that class in the church basement, it just started to grow. It was like a seed was planted and it went from, okay, I'll do a little stretching once a week to kind of complement my running and whatever else I did um, for physical health. It just grew slowly until, and I wrote about this in my yoga PhD book, um, a turning point came when I connected with on a forest method of teaching, which just for various reasons I can go into, but the integration of a strong physical practice, working with mental concentration and, and really rigorous breathing practices throughout your asana practice, just really started opening things up for me. And I started having some experiences through yoga. And this was probably, gosh, I mean, this is a good seven years after I'd started that class in the church basement. So it was a slow Hmm. slow evolution, but all of a sudden things started really shifting. And I just had some really arresting experiences and I got very intrigued. And I understood that this practice um, was opening up parts of my self that I hadn't accessed before and that this felt very important, you know? And then basically, um, I had gone from academia to working in the not-for-profit sector as a researcher. So I was doing applied social research on issues having to do with low-income children and children and families primarily. So kind of, um, well, I've always been in that sort of do-good or liberal progressive camp. Until recently. <laughs> we can talk about that later. <laughs> we'll get there, I'm sure. And, um, and so I was doing that. And then things kind of blew up at the institute I was working with 
in a very unexpected way. And I had the opportunity to do a teacher training with Anna Forrest, which is, or was at least at that time, this was 2008, three and a half weeks of complete immersion. You know, you came in at 6 a.m., you were there for 12 hours, you went home, like showered eight, you had homework and you went back. It was just like <laughs> kind of insane. Um, but, uh, <laughs> She's but, pretty intense um, as well. Huh? <laughs> it had a, it had a real impact on me and just accelerated the whole process. And much to my surprise, I eventually then made the decision that, yeah, I was going to pursue this more. Um, my work situation had changed. I was and remain married to a tenured professor. So I had some economic security to kind of go off the beaten path. And mm. that's important. Um, so, yeah, I decided that I would pursue my interest, really. And um, that meant integrating my academic background and also my interest in um, kind of mm, positive social change, let's just say, which had run through yeah. my academic work and also my nonprofit research and so on into the yoga world. So I was both learning about it for myself and all the changes I felt that were happening in me in terms of opening myself up in particular beyond somebody who was very, like I said, very like comfortable in a very rationalistic space and not so comfortable with feeling intuition Um I don't know, like the spiritual realm, you know, I was very uncomfortable with all that stuff. So it opened that up. I was very inter interested in the integration process of these different parts of myself and also of yoga in the world, because it was really taking off at that time. So that hopefully in more or less of a nutshell is kind of what launched me on the path of starting to write seriously about yoga. And that was all, I really started that back in 2010. Hmm. And that was, was part of the part of the process of uh, thinking about writing a book, if I remember rightly. You you were talking to an agent uh, who suggested yes. it, if, I, if I've got that right. No, I had. So this was I, I started being interested in this um, seriously after my teacher training in 2008. And I looked around and at that point I realized, hey, there's no books at that time. There were no books on these questions I was interested in, like how did yoga come to North America? How was it integrating into this society? What was that history? Um, this was before Mark Singleton's book came out, before Stephanie Simon's book came out, et cetera. And so I was like, oh, here's an opportunity. I had a background, I'd already written a book, um, an academic book on race and American liberalism. So I felt like this was something I could do. And again, this was sort of the territory I was familiar with, you know. Um, so I conceived more of a history, kind of a social history of yoga. And I actually did market it to book agents and I got um, I got a contract, you know, so I had approached a variety of people. I got a good contract. I was starting out on that. And then Mark's book came out yeah. <laughs> and Stephanie's book came out. All these books was like um, Philip Goldberg. He had a book. So all these books came American out. American like, Vader. You know, and I had read Mark's dissertation, so I knew he was working on this because I had researched it. Um, but I didn't know, you know, what his plans were post that. And um, so when I saw all that, I thought my project has really been 
done, you know, and at the same time, actually, you're taking me back and remembering all this stuff. I got into social media and blogging because my agent, who I had found for the book that was never written, because it was written by other people, essentially, uh, said, you know, you've got to get on social media. Like, if you want to market this book, the way things are now, you need a blog, you need to be on Twitter, you need to be on Facebook, you need to do this stuff, and you need to start now. And I was just like, what? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Um, And I had a lot of trepidation. I remember going on Twitter for the first time, just kind of like, oh, it just, you know, I didn't grow up with it. It felt very weird. Um, But um, quickly, uh, I found that at that time, of course, this all changed. At that time, social media was working for me so well. Like I started blogging. In 2010, I set up my own little platform on uh, WordPress, I think it was, Blogspot. You know, it's free. And um, so I started my blog, which I called Think Body Electric, which was after Walt Whitman. You know, I sing the body electric and it was supposed to, I don't know, like be sort of literary and sort of fun and sort of... um, pointing to the idea that you could integrate something more intellectual and something more almost esoteric about, you know, really tapping into the body through yoga, but also the mind, et cetera. So, and also, uh, also East Western. I mean, that was one of the, the yes. yeah, this, this fusion. Yeah, he, he read totally. the Gita, if I remember rightly, before leaves, writing Leaves of Grass. Yeah. And so I was researching that whole um, history with the American transcendentalist and their connection and their inspiration through um, the then at that time, new access to these sacred um, Indian texts, you know. Um, So I was learning about all that. Exactly. And um, I I mean, I remember the the blog. uh, blogging world then was really fertile and creative and open. And um, so within six weeks of starting to do this, I had people calling me and like, it just took off, but in a really good way, like people were interested. Um, There was sort of a emergent conversation, other people, just like the books that had been written about the history, other people were interested in some of the same questions I was interested in. The internet allowed us to find each other. Um, Cause like there might not be a lot of people I was living in Chicago then in my local community who wanted to talk about this stuff. But if you could tap into a worldwide network of English speakers, there were a lot of people. And so the internet allowed me to connect to this really interesting community. And there was a period Um, that lasted a couple of years with just these very wide ranging discussions on, you know, blog posts. There were other blog. I had a whole list of bloggers I was following. Um, We started connecting in real life through conferences and whatever, phone calls, um, emailing. And um, yeah, things just took off. It was a really... um, kind of wonderful and for me completely unexpected time because I was just like still sort of mm, 
figuring out like, how do I move out of being somebody who's used to be an academic or a professional who writes professional reports, which are very like structured. There's a certain language you have to use. There's clear boundaries. There's a way you present yourself. Um, and I was trying to leave all that behind and, and just really enter this new, very much emerging at the time conversation and world, which was much more informal. And, you know, it didn't really have rules and structure and all that, which at the time was, um, was really great. It worked really well until it stopped working well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get onto that, which I really do yeah. want to talk about, um, it seemed that that was captured in the, the, the book that you edited with Roseanne Harvey. It was almost mm. like a snapshot of that blogging world because the styles, the subject matter, and uh, you know the interests of the contributors were so diverse. <laughs> um, it was almost the kind of book that a publisher would have you know, stayed away from because it was so diverse. They'd have said, you know, try and shoehorn it all through some kind of uh, beigeifying influence that will make everything the same. And yeah, it was, I think, therefore likely to speak to a much wider audience as a result. Uh, I'm curious as to what response you got to the book as the editor. Um, were people contacting you to talk about the curation of the book or were they more interested in speaking to to the writers of the different uh, chapters? Um, so that book was um, a great project. That book, um, sorry, I'm just adjusting my camera to see if I can get it to look a little better. I guess it's hopeless. Anyway, so that book came 100% out of this blogging experience I just described. So I connected with Roseanne Harvey, the co-editor, um, through blogging. I was a big admirer of her blog, which was called It's All Yoga Baby. And she had been one of the first people to really start delving into the issues that interested me, sort of yoga and society, the the sort of serious part, but also like the serious part in terms of sort of mind, body, spirit connection, what people were experiencing, but then also kind of the social part and how that translates in as something becomes more commercialized and, um, you know, is kind of entering into the mainstream of society, what's happening. She was really interested in those questions. Great writer. She used to work for uh, Ascent, which was, hmm. um, a Canadian yoga magazine, but more serious um, intellectually than Yoga Journal, so a great magazine, but they folded. And um, so I connected with her through blogging. And then I had the idea, We can, I connected with all these other people. And so I suggested to Roseanne, like, we could do this together and sort of pull in some of the really interesting writers we see in the blogging world at this time, um, work with them to develop what was a blog post into more of a robust essay, edit it and publish it as a book. So we just self-published it, you know, so that cut out all the questions of dealing with, you know, commercial book publishers and also sped up the timeline quite a bit. And um, so she was enthusiastic and we did that. In terms of the reception, um, the reception was very positive and it was um, all sorts of things happened. I mean, um, a lot of those people, some of them were already well established in whatever they were doing, like Tommy Rosen, uh, he wrote about yoga and addiction and he already had a whole world that um, was well established in that area. But um, other people like Chelsea Roth, that was the first time she wrote about 
her quite harrowing experiences with anorexia. And um, so she had this amazing story. And um, it was the first time she went public with it. And so things really took off for her um, as an individual after that was published. And uh, she now has this, or has had for a long time, a nonprofit, um, Eat, Breathe, Thrive, that works with um, people struggling with eating disorders and yoga and other, I don't know if it, to what extent, other mind-body practices, but um, she's been doing a lot of great work for many years now. So for some people, it was like a new thing. She was very young. You know, it was kind of a launching. For other people, they just kept kind of what they were doing, blogging, nothing really shifted. Some people like Tommy Rosen and Michael Stone were very well established. So this was just kind of one more thing they did, you know, so it was like a whole mix. Um, but I would say um, for many people, um, things started to, it, it helped them in whatever work they were doing individually, if they weren't already well established in particular. And for me and Roseanne, it was, um, the reception was very positive. I mean, um, people were interested. It was kind of the first um, book like that. You know, now there's quite a few in terms of collected essays that look at yoga, not just sort of like, how do you want to practice asana at home? Or, or it was not a practice book. It was more of a I guess you could say socio-cultural kind of look through the lens of personal experience, but trying to use that as an entree into talking about something that's happening society-wide, right? So that was new at that time. Um, and so there was a lot of interest. I, I was surprised, honestly. Like, um, I didn't think that it would be as well-received as it was. Well, so I think it's great. Yeah, and no, I think as you say, it was very much yeah. a moment, and and because it yeah, captured it the spirit of that, um, yeah. it, it you know it really did channel something. And what it you know channeled mm -hmm. for me was the idea that I'd been tentatively feeling for, but not really been able to articulate that uh, there was something wrong <laughs> in the yoga world that I was part of, um, that yeah, you know, it just didn't really add up, um, and. I had remember I remember discussing it with a friend I used to go to yoga classes with, and we would say, "Where's the community here?" You know, we would go to these uh, sort of really intense experiences for ninety minutes, um, chat while we tied our shoelaces, maybe go for a drink or some food, and then disappear. And that was the end of of yoga. And I thought, well, where's the community here? And uh, mm. both Michael Stone and Matthew Remsky also in a slightly different way with a somewhat uh, prescriptive uh, title, if I remember rightly, um, or certainly conclusion right. saying that every, if a yoga studio doesn't have a soup kitchen in it, it's, you know, it's basically failed in its raison d'etre. Um, and, and, and yet, you know, that did speak to me. It seemed like, well, if, if this is supposed to be doing us all some good, <laughs> it's the only good yeah. that it does us that we, you know, feel more self content in, in you know in our little bliss bubbles um or or is it actually going to ripple out into into achieving some sort of positive social change as you put it earlier and uh, those questions were not things that people in the yoga teaching world that certainly I was part of wanted to talk about and I yeah. I, I felt that was again really missing you know if, if a yoga teacher was a dharma teacher rather than an asana teacher I felt that was something that should be coming out of their mouths dharma the right way to live you know what's sort of conducive to collective benefit 
And that's yeah. the tradition out of which yoga stems. And people like to talk all this <laughs> sort of fancy discourse around what it might might do. And, you know, that wasn't quite there. And you in, you know, in your book, Yoga PhD at the beginning, I think I mentioned in an email I sent you the other day, um, yeah, had, had really zeroed in on that right at the beginning of your preface saying, you know, really wanted to inquire into um, you know, what happens as a result of this personal transformation, whether it also transforms relationships and society. Right. And, uh, you know, you went on yourself to become involved in um, basically activist projects, uh, looking at how yoga could be part of, of, of you know, contributing to positive social change and and yet at the same time before very long stepped away from all of that so I'm curious as to what it was in trying to put those ideas into practice that turned you off um yeah well so um starting where we left off or where I left off with the 21st century yoga book, it is true that that book was very consciously on the part of me and Roseanne, the editors, a mix of criticism about what was happening in the yoga world, but also kind of positive inspiration about the possibilities and, um, you know, positive benefits that people were really receiving. So we tried to really balance those things. Um, and um, I think that was pretty successful. Um, so that was always my goal really was to um, address um, this kind of, um, at that time, profound and widespread reluctance to think about yoga in more of a societal context, sort of beyond the project of the self, you know. And um, there was a lot of resistance to that um, among people who were just in this kind of discussion that had kind of emerged online. Like I remember writing something about, you know, why it um, would be, it could be considered um, part of your yoga practice to um, think about these kind of issues about how this was interfacing with society and even politics. I got a lot of pushback on that. You know, people just at that time thought kind of a lot of people thought like, that's just not what this is about. Politics um, should be kept out of yoga. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, in certain ways I've kind of come to think they were right, but, um, <laughs> but maybe for different reasons. Um, yeah. So... Thanks for tuning in to this preview. Uh, to continue listening and to get access to all archived episodes along with other perks, visit ancientfutures.substack.com.